You're listening to the Arise Church Podcast. We are an Acts 29 church in Ventura, California, where we exalt Christ, embrace community, and engage culture. Find out more info or hear more sermons at our website, ariseventura.com. Thanks for listening. We have been uh, going through James, and as I said last time, James is kind of a it's a difficult book because really it could be, it could be one of those things where it's really um, triggering. It's really challenging. It's really in your face. And uh, if, we're not, if we're not aware or careful, uh, when, when we read it, it could be something that when we go to James, we go to James for a list of do's and don'ts, right? And sometimes as believers, when we, when we try to make do's and don'ts out of things, all we end up doing is bypassing the heart and going straight to the action. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? And, but James isn't calling us to bypass our heart. And then like, he's, he's trying to remind us, if our heart has changed, then these are the things that we will be doing and not doing, right? So it's not a, it's not a skipping into religion where it's like, don't do, do, don't do, don't do. It's not, that's not what it's not. That's not what it's about at all, but it is about saying that if we are people who are his, who are Jesus's people, then that's going to produce something. And you can't say that it's, you can't say it, it's, um, that you have this faith and then, but it doesn't show in anything, right? So that's, that's the hard part and the good part about James. And actually there's, there's tension throughout all of the book. In fact, a lot of Christianity, a lot of Christianity is inviting us into tension it's not saying, um, it's complex. You know, in, in the world we live in, the things that get uh, amplified and pressed and promoted are what? Are memes, simple statements. Uh, on Facebook, I kind of thought it was funny. I have lots of conspiracy theories about Facebook. But uh, one of the funny things about Facebook is that if you can make a little saying that's only a certain amount of characters, then, you, then you're rewarded with a picture behind the words. But if you go like one character past that set number, then you get no picture. And really, like, it's almost like the dumbing down of our society. Like, oh, if you, if you have too many words, you're not going to get the picture. If you don't get the picture, you're not going to get the likes, and you won't get to see that red button, and then you won't get the attention that you really want. So keep it simple and, like, you know, let it be, like, just quick, you know. And you're like, wait, life is much more complex than however many characters Facebook wants us to have on our post with a picture, isn't it? Yeah, you guys with me? Yeah. All right, good. I see Garmin nodding, so I appreciate that. And it's a Dodger hat, we'll pray for them later. Uh, maybe not. All right, so there's a tension in James. Um, we are saved and, and, and secure, but in this life, he gives us trials. Like that's tension, right? Uh, in fact, in our immaturity as believers, sometimes we think like, well, when we come to Jesus, um, there's a lot of churches out there who will say, come to Jesus and everything's going to be great. You could have your best life now. But like, that's not what the Bible teaches, right? The Bible teaches, come to Jesus and you're secure in, in eternity in the future. But in this life, you're going to have trials. So there's a tension of being safe and uh, not safe, but being secure in the future, but also in this life, walking through trials. And it's for his glory and it's for his good purposes. There's another tension of that we should ask for wisdom, but in faith, right? So usually when we think of like, when we connect wisdom, we're like, uh, the way we make good decisions is we gather knowledge, right? 
So when we gather knowledge, we're just um, we're building up all of our information base so we can m make the most informed decision. But James is saying, yeah, you should ask for wisdom and you should seek wisdom, but you should seek it by faith from God. So it's not, 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 it's not necessarily about gathering up all the best information, but it's about seeking, seeking the one who already knows everything and letting him give you direction. There's also a tension that uh, God urges us to endure trials, but then he turns around and say, he says, uh, but don't, don't blame me for your sin. Like how you respond to the trials, don't say that God's tempting me, like that God has tempted me. Like, oh, it's because I'm going through this great trial that I have done this great sin. He's saying, no, that's already a product of your own heart. So there's tension in that, right? There's tension that God lets us have these trials, but he also expects us to go through them um, and persevere through them. And he doesn't want us turn around, turning around and saying, like, it's God's fault because he gave me this trial. There's more tension, right? Um, that we're not only supposed to hear the word of God, but we're supposed to live it. That's kind of what Pastor Steve talked about last week, and I'm thankful for that. And I think really where we're at today continues in that same theme. Um, belief doesn't prove faith. Why? Because even the demons believe. Right? So it's like, oh, I, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Like, you know, um, there's a, there's a, well, actually, yeah, I won't, I won't say that. But there's, in some places you go, like in Texas, uh, my buddy used to live in Texas, and he used to say, everyone in Texas thinks they're a Christian, right? But it's like, we know not everyone in the state of Texas is a Christian, but because just by default, by culture, by like the way they're brought up, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. It's like, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything except that that's the religion you identify with, right? But Jesus is saying it goes beyond that, or James is saying and then the last tension is that words do not save, or works do not save, but they prove, right? Um, they, they prove out who you are, what you say you are. Um, yeah, that's easy. <laughs> so today, as we're in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, there's a couple of things that we're just basically going to look at two ideas here. Um, one is that as a pastor or a teacher, right doctrine alone is dangerous, Okay. And I'll flesh that out. As a pastor, someone who desires to be a pastor or a teacher, someone who wants to communicate the Word of God, the simple fact that you have right doctrine by itself is dangerous, okay? And then secondly is that our speech matters, right? Like what, what we say, how we say, the things that we uh, speak with our mouth really matter and are really important to God. So, and then at the end of it, we'll wrap up with a little bit of application, Okay, now I'm going to pray for myself because I don't want to just pray for the avenue, but I want to pray for myself that God would, uh, God would be speaking a word to us as a family today. So, uh, Lord, I know sometimes I get going and I'm 100 miles an hour, and Lord, but I don't want to think ahead of you. I don't want to speak ahead of you. I don't want any of this to be of me, Lord. And so, God, I just pray, God, that uh, I pray for less of me and more of you. And God, that as you are uh, speaking to us through your words, Lord, that you would let us in our hearts be sensitive to your Holy Spirit, God, that is calling us to, to change or to repent or to see something maybe that we hadn't seen before. God, you're not, you're not calling us here to, uh, to just check a box, but you're calling us every Sunday to come to the Word and expect transformation. So God, we expect transformation this morning. So God, I just pray, God, you would work even in my heart, even as I'm speaking, Lord, God, that you would be working in my heart in these things. In Jesus' name, amen. 
James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting, the, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Heavy words. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, this, these things ought not be so. Does a spring for, pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Pastor Steve mentioned before, and actually I think every teacher probably mentions it because it's important for us to realize the numbers are not inspired, right? So when we say the numbers aren't inspired, um, it's, chap it's chap the beginning of chapter 3, but it's not like an author who writes a book and says, like, uh, finish this chapter, move on to the next chapter. It's a letter. The book of James is a letter, and it's all one continuous thing. So as we look at this, it, it's um, and personally when I read it, I don't see that it's separate from. I don't see it separate from the sentence above it. So when the admonishment comes to a pastor or teacher that right doctrine alone is dangerous, we see it completely attached to the the section before, which was what. Faith without works is dead. Thanks, bro. I'm glad you were listening last week. <laughs> All right. So, so how much more then, if faith without works is dead, then how much more then for someone who aspires to be a pastor or a teacher, how much more then should they be aware that if their life does not match their teaching, that they're going to incur a stricter judgment. They're going to come under a heavier a heavier scrutiny than a person who's just walking through the world saying, oh yeah, I'm just, I'm, I'm a believer of Jesus and I'm, I want my life to reflect it. But if, I, if you're going to turn around and teach it, there's going to be higher, uh, a, a more intense scrutiny. Um, I went to a uh, college and a college and seminary up in Portland, Oregon. I know there's a lot of Portland people in our fam, but, and, uh, but on campus, it was very clear which professors love Jesus and which professors love their title. And I got to tell you, it is very discouraging as a young man to walk onto a seminary campus and feel like you're getting vibed by these PhD professors, like you're getting uh, 
dishonored or disrespected or like they're looking down at you like you're just this lowly undergrad student. Like there's something very off-putting about that. But then, but then like if, if that was the only experience you had, then you'd be like, man, forget this. I'm not even going to seminary, right? But the truth is, then there's professors like Professor Needham who like when he walked, he walked with Jesus. Like the man glowed in his face. I, I mean, I'm not, even, I'm not even trying to like exaggerate. Like when you saw him, you could tell immediately he was a man of peace and he had care for everyone he came in contact with. So there's a huge difference between the man who is, uh, who's got this title and he's really proud of himself and all these things and he's going to come and he's going to teach you and he's going he's gonna to remind you that you're not saying that word right or the fact that or the fact that maybe you grew up and you misunderstood that in your interpretation. Like, no, that's not how it's supposed to go. You, you really need to read this, right? And then there's Professor Lubeck, who, uh, who insisted that we called him Ray. Like, he didn't, he didn't want to be called doctor. He didn't want to be called professor. He said, look, if Jesus said, don't call any man father but God, I don't want you to call me doctor, and I don't want you to call me professor. Call me Ray. And you know what? Sometimes when you walk into that class before class would start, he'd be there and uh, uh, we would walk in and we're all eager, young, like trying to get smart, like in the Bible, we're trying to learn stuff. And sometimes we walk into class like ready to like engage because he was a very intriguing teacher. He made you like, like he pulled out the curiosity of the scriptures for you. But and sometimes you come into class and you're ready to, you're ready to get in the books and grow in your knowledge. And he, and he would just start off and he like, you know what, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to worship. And he would just bust out his guitar and he would just be with Jesus in front of all of us. And you know what, it made the scriptures that much more sweeter because we knew we were hearing from a man not only who was smart enough to like teach us, smart enough to like um, to write books and do all these great things or to sparse Hebrew and like do all that stuff, but we weren't, we weren't just hearing from a man who was smart enough to do all those things, but we were hearing from a man who really loved Jesus, and he brought that into the classroom, and he modeled that for us. Not that we were going to ever be as smart as he is. Like, and some of his students went on to exceed past. Like, in fact, some of the people that he mentored uh, developed this thing that a lot of us use called the Bible Project, which is these great videos and podcasts teaching us how to like, study the Bible. So you can have a sound teaching, you can have sound, a sound doctrine, um, you can have sound doctrine in your preaching, but if your life does not match, it's dangerous. You know, uh, we were at a conference a couple years ago, Sean and Steve and I, and um, man, I kid you not, I heard this sermon and I was like, man, that might be one of the top four sermons I have ever heard. Like, the guy blew my mind. And guess what? A year later, not even a year later, I don't think, it was discovered that he was having affairs. And it just like does something to the word. It does something to, it does something to the reputation of Jesus. It does something for us to, to like be like, man, it's possible that you can have great, perfect orthodoxy, but if your heart is not there, that it's a fail. It's an epic fail, right? Now, a lot of you guys are like, I don't want to be a pastor. I'm not, I'm not trying to teach the Bible like that. Why is this, what does it have to do with me? Well, it all has to do with us collectively being people 
who not only uh, speak the name of Jesus or bear the mark of the name of Jesus, but live as people of Jesus. It's not enough for us to just go to church on Sunday, and it's not enough for us to just check the box that we did this or didn't do that, but it is about letting our lives being le be, be led by the Spirit of God, calling us to real feet on the ground, hands in people's lives, to be the love in the hands and feet of Jesus. And you know what? Sometimes it looks like slowing down and pulling over because you see someone who's trying to push their car into the gas station, even though you don't got time for that. Or sometimes it means having something in your car ready because you know at every corner in Ventura, there's a homeless person who is hungry. And not, not trying to determine whether or not they're worthy or if they're drug using or if they're an alcoholic, but to just be Jesus and to give them food and to bless them and to pray for them, right? So listen, you can have orthodoxy is a fancy word for right doctrine, right? And not have orthopraxy, which is right practice. And, and James is calling us, all of us, to, and he's not saying that they're in contradiction or they're in battle. It's one of those tension moments again where, yeah, we have right doctrine, but we also esteem right practice. They're not contradictory and they're not battling each other. They're two sides of the same coin. They're, they're part, they're both uh, together on the same coin and they, they, they have the same impact on us than if, than if, we just, uh, if we just have right practice sometimes, we end up becoming a liberal social uh, experiment, right? Where we just want to better people's lives on their way to hell. And we, but if we don't have right doctrine and we're not giving people the gospel, um, then, then we're missing out on that too. But we can't just give them the gospel and then walk away. We've got to give them the gospel and then and help bring, bring beauty into their life, right? So it's not an either-or situation. The gospel comes with words, right? We're going to speak words, we're not just, but we're also going to follow through. We're going, to live, we're going to live in such a way that people know that we're marked by Jesus, not just on paper in terms of orthodoxy, the right doctrine part, right? We don't want to be known as the frozen chosen, right? But, but neither do we want to forsake doctrine and then live out our faith and just become some like a YMCA where we just, we've drifted from uh, Young Men's Christian Association to just now the why, officially the why, which is like the why the why, right? Because there's no longer a need for the Christian Association because it's just about helping people. We don't want to do that either. And the, and the why is great. I'm not speaking against the why, okay? What I'm saying is it requires both for us. It requires effort to understand and to know good, sound doctrine. And it requires effort to be available and faithful and to, be, to walk into situations where God is saying, go this way, do this, help this person. Um, I, I've been blessed by people who have just, uh, at times, who would just want to like help me in a certain way. And I didn't tell them anything about what I wanted or what I needed or what I was praying about. And they just jump in and do that thing. And you're like, man, the Spirit of God is so good like that. I mean, have you guys experienced that? Where you're not like, you're not telling everybody your business and expecting people to help you. But you're just like in prayer before Jesus. And like someone who like hears from Jesus comes in and like answers that question or like gives you that word or like, or brings in that help that you needed. Like, man, there is nothing more encouraging than crying out to God in those things and seeing how he does what he does. And he uses us.
I just spilled on myself, but that's okay. All right. Um, now, uh, one of the most misinterpreted passages in the Bible, at least for me growing up, and, and what I, the way I was uh, taught about Scripture, is Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Now, you guys know the Ten Commandments, right? I mean, I'm not going to ask anybody Ten Commandments because that's embarrassing because, like, I can barely answer them. Like, if I, it takes a lot for me to think through them. Like, man, I probably... Anyways, the point is, one of the most interp- misinterpreted ones is that you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will, ho- uh, will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. I think James is picking up on this. James is bringing to light uh, taking the Lord's name in vain. Um, let me just tell you, taking the Lord's name in vain is not when you, uh, you know, bust your toe on the vacuum, right? And then like cry out for Jesus, right? Or when someone cuts you off and you're like speaking Yahweh's name in, in profane ways. It, that's not what it's about. Now, I'm not advocating that we disrespect God's name and replace uh, Jesus's name with where we would have put a cuss word before, right? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I am saying, what I think the scripture is saying, is that taking the Lord's name in vain is saying, I'm a Christian, right? I am of Christ. I am uh, of Yahweh, right? In the Old Testament, it would have been like, I would, I'm, a, I'm a, one of God's people. I'm a, I'm a Hebrew. I'm an Israelite. Listen, taking the Lord's name in vain is going around and saying that, and yet your life shows no evidence that you bear his name at all. Did you guys hear that? Taking the Lord's name in vain, if, that, if when we read the scriptures and we understand that, then taking the Lord's name in vain becomes much more dynamic in each of our lives on a daily basis. And it's not because you didn't say blank, blank, blank when you cut somebody off or when someone cut you off, Right? But it's about making good decisions. It's about walking in the Spirit of God. It's about seeing and knowing and hearing from the Lord in a way that when He tells you to go, you go. And when He tells you to stay, you stay. Does that make sense to you guys? It's not, it's not merely just uh, the declaring or misusing of God's name. It's the mislabeling of yourself, right? And saying that you are of God and not having your life reflect it. Um, you know, growing up in the skate, uh, skateboard, surf, punk rock culture, we always had people who, uh, oops, we always had people who, uh, who wanted to look the part, right? So, like, every culture has it, right? Straight up posers. Like, we call them posers. I don't think people use that word anymore. Mo, do you guys use that word still, posers? Oh, yeah, okay, good. Glad to know I'm still hip. <laughs> uh, we always had these like people who were basically straight up posers. So they would go to the surf shop and mom would throw down that credit card and they had like the stubbies and like the OP. Like you guys don't know those brands, huh? Like <laughs> maybe, maybe you do because your dad's cool. But uh, they got all the cool surf brands. They got the cool vans, right? They got all the stuff. And then like they roll up with their skateboard and they're like, they're like, ugh. They try to do an ollie and like the board like slides out and they're like, oh, I did it yesterday. You know, it's like straight up poser. You ain't a real skater. Like don't even trip. Like you're not real. It's like when you see a 15 year old today with her Nirvana shirt on. It's like, come on, man. Kurt Cobain's been dead longer than you've been alive. You got that at Spencer Gifts. We all know. 
you know, in the 80s, <laughs> I'm being hard on the imaginary 15-year-old boy right now. <clears throat> well, in the 80s, Christians did the same thing, right? In the 80s, we had this great idea. We're going to make Christian t-shirts. Yo, we had this one shirt up in our church bookstore, right? Because I used to work in a church bookstore. I used to flip the tapes after the sermon, like record them. I had that down, like because we would sell those tapes hot. Anyways, that's a different story. But in the church bookstore, we had these cool Christian shirts, right? And it's a cartoon version of Samson. And he's like pushing the, the, uh, the pillars down and everything's coming down. And it says, God's gym. <laughs> What's up, Steve? Oh, you saying, you got one of those? Oh, five minutes? Dang, am I really on five minutes? Anyways, the point is, oh yeah, thanks, man. You got my back, I think. So the point is, is like, we had all these funny things. It's like in the 90s, there was WWJD bracelets, right? That doesn't make you a Christian. Having a mark of uh, something doesn't make you a Christian. Recently, my nephew got married, and at the, uh, at the wedding rehearsal dinner, my uh, brother paid tribute to him. And he said, you know, Eden has been a fine young man. He's godly. Um, he's been walking in righteousness. He's been, he's pure. He's been pure. And, you know, he was praising him. He said, he's, he's, he makes um, something to the effect that, like, he's a true Velasquez man. Now, in my family, like, when someone calls you a Velasquez man, that's not a diss. That's like, you bear the mark of our family name, and you're making the family proud, right? So it's not, it's not that you bear the name, oh, yeah, there goes Carlos Velasquez again. Man, he's not really reflecting his name, right? But it's like, but when Eden, like Eden got married, he had never kissed his girlfriend, you know, and it was beautiful and sweet and pure. And, uh, but when my brother paid tribute to him, the thing that made sense was that what he was saying about Eden, being a man, was true. And so that when you, when you, uh, when he praised him, no one felt like, oh, he's just being kind and saying kind words. When he praised him, Eden stood there like humbled, but also we all acknowledge that, yes, that is Eden. Eden is that man. It's important that we match. That's basically what I'm trying to say. You know, I've gone way too far, <laughs> way too long. I'm going to kind of go through this. I'm going to breeze through this last part, so bear with me for a couple more minutes. The second part is that our speech matters, okay? Um, few things are more devastating to the body of Christ than uh, people who just like constantly talk, right? Uh, unsubsta unsubstantiated gossip destroys relationships and churches. Unconfirmed suspicions that come out as I wonder or I'm concerned about. Uh, unloving truth bombs. There's always... People who think that the truth is supposed to just come out no matter what, but then they show no love, right? That's not, that's not God's way. James says this, right? Um, you put a horse, you put a, a bridle in the mouth of a horse. If you guys ever been stood right next to a horse, they're intimidating creatures. So it's interesting to think about the power that you can have by just putting a, bri a bridle in a horse's mouth. Like they are like, phenomenally strong creatures and it's like it's intimidating when you walk up next to one and the and like the horse goes like you're like oh like good horse <laughs> like it's scary right rudders and large ships 
I, have a, I, uh, I love surfing, and I've been glad to be back in surfing all summer, and thanks, Gary. I owe you that one. Um, but if you ever try to surf a surfboard without any fin on the bottom, your board's going to slip and slide around. You're not going to have any direction. But the same thing what James is saying, right? You put a little rudder on the back of this ginormous boat, and it can keep the direction going. So it's powerful. Um, how great a fire is set, a, is set ablaze by, I mean, sorry, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. Uh, I record, you guys know that I record depositions and I've been doing, I've been working on the Thomas fire cases and uh, the witnesses all agree that the fires were started by one thing, sparks. But no one remembers the spark, but everybody remembers the devastation and the carnage and like the ashes and all of the things. So much so now that if there's any smoke in the air, the, ex, the next door app looks like a PSD chalkboard, right? Like, like just all these things going up on next door app. Like, Do you still need wind chimes? Wind chimes the that too. That too. But the, but the point of what I'm saying is, it's the spark that started the fire. It's not, it's not anything else but the spark. Like the, there's witnesses that saw the sparks. And that's what our words are, you guys. When our words are not careful, when our words are not part of our worship, when we don't think about our words as how we worship and we're just reckless with our words, I have to tell you, I have, I have, I'm totally guilty of that at times, you guys. Like in my, in my immaturity growing up, I just, sometimes I just run my mouth. Like being the youngest brother, I'm the shortest, I'm the shortest, smallest person in my family. Both my brothers are over 300 pounds. You want to know how I survived? By being a smart aleck. Like being cutting with my words. Like that was the only way I was going to get one up on my big brothers because they could squash me in a like millisecond, right? So I became really with my words. Truth is, is like it takes a while for us to realize that even our little words have great impact, right? We can't just say just joking after we've already cut off someone's feelings, right? It's not, it's not enough for us to just say just joking. All right. I'm going to skip this part right here. So... Yeah, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, uh, 34 to 37. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good, of the, per the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You know, Facebook hasn't helped us, right? Not at, like, not at all. In fact, I'm startled at how many stories get forwarded by Christians that are like completely like not necessarily factual, but they're just confirming their suspicions or their biases without checking the sources or without checking through. And you know what that is? That's just passing on your suspicion and your, uh, your angst and your anxiety, the things that you're worried about. It's just passing it on to someone else. Like what you say on Facebook, it actually does matter. Like how you post it, it does matter. And 
I'm not trying to say Facebook is evil here. I'm just saying every place we communicate, this matters. Right? All right. So here's, here's a couple practical things, and then we'll, I'll just wrap this up. Um, come back here. I think it'd be good for us. Um, shoot. Sorry. There we go. Practically speaking, I think we should be people who speak from our identity, okay? And not from our insecurity. Because sometimes we let our insecurities get the best of us. And uh, you know what the saying is, right? Wounded people wound people. And so when we speak from our identity, then we're people of hope, we're people of joy, we're people of grace, we're people of truth. And we, so we speak truthful, we bring hope, we bring peace, we bring joy. But when we speak from our insecurities, it's doubt and insecurity and hurt. And, and listen, I have been that person before. I'm not, this, none, of, I'm, none of what I'm saying now is meant to be at all heavy-handed. It's to say that wherever you are right now in this, in this whether you're, if you're oozing with hurt, there's grace for that. But we have to, like, we have to see that maybe, maybe we're hurting, that we need grace. And let's, let's be honest, everybody knows we, we're hurting, except for us sometimes, Right? Um, one of the stories I was going to share was that uh, in the time of when I was really hurting, I would talk to people and then they would all start to look at me with big eyes and be like, whoa. And I'm like, what's, and I couldn't figure out for the longest time, why are they looking at me so funny? It's because I've been hurt and all I was oozing was suspicion and condemnation and judgment and hurt and pain and all these things. I, I wasn't, I hadn't dealt with the wound that someone had wounded me with. So I was turning around and causing all this carnage with my words and, it, and everybody knew except me. So I thought I was doing pretty good, but in the end, I had to check my own unforgiving heart. So we speak from our, we speak from our identity, not from our insecurity. And, and lastly, I would say this, we need to consider, and this is challenging to me, you guys, we need to consider that all of our words are part of how we worship Jesus. Right? If James is saying that our words are that powerful, then our words should be considered part of how we worship Jesus. The things that we say ought to be processed through like, are we worshiping Jesus? Is this, gro- is this building up? Is this encouraging? Like, is it, is it a way, is it a real way that I'm actually worshiping Jesus? <clears throat> you know, we're going to... Um, so as we, as we think about it, and we try not to take the Lord's name in vain, and we think about how our words are impacted, here's a couple of questions I want you guys to take home with you. They'll actually, they'll be on the website. Steve, I think, put them up already. But uh, what, when have you experienced significant amount of damage done by a few words? Man, we, he read that question to me the other day. I was like, man, that's a really good question. Think about that. When have you personally experienced a significant amount of damage done by just a few words. Another question is, how does this passage help you to be more careful about how you use your tongue? And then there's another question on on the website that really is going to call you to be uh, a little bit more introspective. Um, Let's let's go ahead and pray. Uh, 
And as we pray, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask us to close our eyes. And Steve's going to, we're going to, we'll have some worship and some communion as well. But um, I'm going to ask us to close our eyes. And as we close our eyes, I'm going to read Ephesians 4.29 for us as we close in prayer. So let's close our eyes. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Father, I just pray, Lord, um, I just pray that we would be mindful, Lord, that we're not, that we would consider what it is to take your name in vain. God, in, in, a, in this time when everybody is looking to cut everybody down um, politically and socially and like, it's just not a friendly place out there. God, that we would be people marked by you, Jesus, that we would not be out there just swinging a sword around, cutting up everything as, it, as we go, Lord, but with our words, God, that we are reflecting you, Jesus, that we are building up, that we are being gospel. We're letting the gospel impact our words, Lord. So, Father, I just pray, Lord, as you, as you convict our hearts, that you would just bring us to a place where we can just repent, God, and grow, grow into completeness, Lord being able to control um, not just our mouths, but our whole bodies, Lord. As you see fit, Lord Jesus, we love you, Lord. We thank you for this time, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.